Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Our vision as a church is to see the glory of God known across London and the nations. And for us, that means first and foremost, putting God as the primary being amongst us as a church, that as we gather, our heart and our passion is that if you are with us and you're not a Christian, that you would not think first and foremost, they're a nice bunch of people. You may or may not think that. But actually, first and foremost, you might go from a gathering like this, having a sense of the living God on your heart, that there might be an awareness that you have encountered a being whom you have never actually come into contact with, one whom is divine. And so every now and again, we want to take a moment and just look directly at who this God is, because the glory of God is not just like some slice of who he is. It's not like there's this aspect of God that we'd really like to elevate. The glory of God is all of God's perfections on display for us. The totality of his nature and his beauty and his power is his glory. It's the totality of all of the goodness of God we want to be on display amongst us for London and the nations. And so we're going to just take this morning to look at this passage from Exodus 3 where we have what theologians call this theophany, which sounds fancy, but it's really this kind of revelation of who God is. It's God coming down and manifesting himself to us to display some more of his glory so that it might help Moses and in turn might help us. So what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is really speak about this burning bush. I would like us to gather in closer to sense the heat of the presence of God and who this God is that speaks from a burning bush. And then in the latter half of this short message, I want to, I say short. Why did I say short? I'm trying to appease you. It's not, that's not true, potentially. It could be long. I don't know. Um, but I want to just share some reflections on what it might mean if this God is alive, still a God of the burning bush, what it might mean for our lives in the everyday. So we're going to look at God and then what it might mean for us. So let's just look at this passage briefly. It's, I mean, I'm not too sure about these things, but I've been told that in desert places, it is known that bushes do just set alight. They, they, They can just come on fire because of the heat, the oxygen, there's fuel there. So it is known that that can happen. But there is something we're told obviously unique about this moment that Moses notices. Because we're told that he is out keeping the flock of his father-in-law in the wilderness, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of the bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. What is, what is going on here? I, I didn't make it to scouts. Anyone, any, any scouts here? I tapped out as beavers. There you go, Andrew. I, I, I didn't even make it to scouts, but I've Googled. And apparently you need three things for a fire. You need oxygen, you need heat, and you need something to burn. You need some fuel. And so what, what's going on in this moment? Well, you have oxygen, tick. You have heat, he's in the wilderness, tick. But what we're told here is that this bush is on fire, but there is no fuel being used up. 
So just imagine if you know if you've been to bonfire nights and you've got the, the fire there and there's, there's all the crackling, there's the hissing, there's the popping, isn't there? Because there's the, the, the fire is being burned up. It's being used as the fuel. So for whatever is going on here, Moses is coming towards what may be like a silent fire. That there is this fire, but there's none of the crackling, there's none of the hissing, the popping that you normally get with a bonfire because we're told the bush is not actually burning. Something different is going on. And this is not just God kind of doing a little party trick to get Moses' attention. That is that, because Moses turns aside, he notices there's something different about that. But it's not just God saying, hey, look, I can do these little tricks. I need to get your attention so that I can talk to you. We're told in uh, Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the, the glory of God, that the universe around us is just rippling and radiating out with the Lord's splendor, that everywhere that we look, that we are to see elements of the nature of God. Jesus tells us to look up into creation in Matthew 6 and see and learn from creation about the nature of God. So when God comes in this moment, in this burning bush, he is wanting to teach Moses something. And what we find here is the Lord burning a fire, but not using any wood to, to burn. I think what we're going to find the Lord teaching Moses and us is that God does not need the things of this world to burn his fire. He does not need to operate within the laws of nature that we have sorted out, but he is the creator God whom the laws of nature serve. I think he is telling Moses in this moment that I do not need wood to burn. I do not need good conditions to see my people rescued. I do not need to operate in the way that you do, Moses, as a creature, because I am the creator. He is declaring himself as self-sufficient. We, we, tend, we like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient don't we? we we like to think of ourselves as safe self-made people in fact we really don't like those people who feel like they had a leg up in life do we those people with a silver spoon born in their mouth and daddy gave it to them and blah 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 we, we don't like those people do we but who do we celebrate we celebrate the self-made people they did it by themselves they're the kind of people who we think wow they are very special you work hard you get you know what what's the mantra today you believe in yourself you work hard. If you believe long enough, you will achieve your dreams. That's, that's the kind of the wisdom of our age, which what? It puts creation into our hands. If you just simply work hard enough, you can create whatever you like with your life. Happens to be always told by the like 0.1% of people who actually attain wealth and celebrity, just to put it out there. You don't hear that from the 99.9% .9 of people who do try that and end up living a fairly regular, normal life. But that's the wisdom that is put out there. But the truth is we're not self-sufficient, are we? If we just step back and think very logically about it, we're from our parents. We are products of our environment, far more and humblingly so than we would ever like to admit. We're simply products of the place and the environment, and the parents, where we were raised and how we were raised. We are products of all of that. We are dependent on the oxygen, on the water, we will die within minutes if we stop 
breathing. We are utterly tethered to the things of this world. But God in this burning bush, he declares something radical. I am an independent being from the laws of nature. I am the creator God. Theologians talk about this as the aseity of God. Can you say the aseity? There you go. There, you learned some Latin today. Did you know that? You're getting your money's worth. Aseity, from himself. It's this idea that God originates everything from within himself, that he does not need creation to exist, that before creation even was, there was Father, Son and Holy Spirit and they were perfectly full, infinitely slow, overflowing to one another, Father to the Son and Son to the Father in the Holy Spirit originating where from himself think about that tonight and let your head be broken that he did not need creation to exist but we are the overflow of his fullness and his self-sufficiency and that he comes to Moses and he comes and declares this to him in this burning bush by saying look I don't need the things that you need to exist I can burn my fire without using Wood. And God always works like this. Even the passage that Grant read earlier, where the, the, the seas are split. God is declaring again, I don't work with the laws of nature like you do. I am over them as the creator God. I can operate the laws of nature as my will decides because he doesn't need wood to burn. We're told later in another place, in, in, in the next chapter, where um, Moses picks up a, a staff because Moses is dithering about, should he follow God? And is this real? Like, what's going on? And so what does God do? He turns a staff into a snake and then a stake back into a staff. Why? Because he doesn't need wood to burn. He's, he's the God who exists outside of space and time history. He piles up the Red Sea for his people. That does not normally happen. So like, you just stand there for a little minute. You ought to stand there for a minute. Just step aside because I'm organizing creation for the sake of my people to be set free. He knocks a piece of rock and water comes out. He organizes food from heaven, literally every morning, just food, just falls to the floor. They eat the food. He sustains them throughout the wilderness. He crumbles walls if need be because he doesn't need wood to burn. He is the God who exists outside of time and space history and he can organize creation for the good of his people. He can make the rain to stop, we're told, and the rain to start when it's needed because he doesn't need wood to burn. And this God, the God of all things, he, he sends, in a sense, the, the eternal fiery son of God, the ultimate burning bush, his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. The one who does not need wood to burn. Because Jesus himself, he was not of this world. You could walk past him, flesh and blood like us, yet at the same time, totally unlike us. He did not have a father, and yet he was born. He's not like us. He doesn't need the things of this world. And yet he grew to be a fully fledged man. He performed miracles from where? From within himself. He didn't call on another power. He performed miracles himself. He said, I don't need bread. You know, like, I don't know. If you don't eat for a month or so, you're on the edge of potentially like it could be fatal. 
She said, I don't need bread. I live off the will of my father. He had a source outside of this world that he lived on. He taught and people would wonder at the authority with which he taught with. So people would search, like, where does he get his authority from? They're like, what Bible school did he go to? Like, who are the people he's quoting from? How did he learn to preach like that? And they couldn't figure out where he got his authority from. Why? Because his authority did not come from within this world. It came from a source outside of this world because he was the God of the burning bush. And this Jesus, he goes walking to the cross, deliberately coming down so that he might save us. And on his way to the cross, we're told that he, this is a moment where he was transfigured and his face was just unveiled for a moment so that his true identity might be put on display like Moses coming to the burning bush. We have the disciples gathered around this Jesus and suddenly we're told his face was shining like the sun, this fiery ball of heat and glory emanating from Jesus' face. We're told that they were afraid. I would be afraid if Gabriel's face just started turning like the sun. And they see the true nature of this burning bush man, Jesus Christ. And he walks to the cross where he is crucified, where the immortal one, the one who does not have a source within this world, but outside this world, he is extinguished on the cross. Charles Wesley wrote the hymn, "'Tis mystery all that the immortal dies. How can an immortal being die? Yet in Jesus Christ, we have his death. And what happens is that creation responds to Jesus because Jesus does not respond to creation. Creation responds to Jesus. And as the light of the world is snuffed out on the cross, what happens is that creation ripples out and goes dark as he is crucified. And he takes on the sin and the injustice and the wrath of God against our sin on himself. He dies in our place. Heaven goes dark. And yet what happens on the third day? Because he is a God who does not need wood to burn, by the glory of his Father's might, he causes this Jesus Christ to come alive again. So that the glory of this light might be for the nations like those little candles if you've ever done those trick candles on someone and you blow them out and they just come back on like one of those our sin thought that we could snuff out the light of the world but he doesn't need favorable physical conditions to be alive he doesn't need anything he can cause life where there is no life and by the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ, came alive again to be the blazing hope of the nations. And in him, we have the burning bush to whom we come to. The God to whom need nothing. He's not like us. Paul reflects on all of this in Romans 11. And he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. For from him 
Imagine that there is nothing that we see around us that we know or things that we don't know about that has not originated from the person of Jesus Christ. Everything has come from within him and he sustains everything we're told by the word of his power in Hebrews 1. And to him are all things. All things are for his glory. So who is the center point of all things? It is the Lord himself as the fountain. And he does not grow tired. He does not grow faint like you and I do because he is the infinite eternal fountain of all of life this is a glorious truth about God especially if you are feeling slightly faint and weary and feeling like when's life going to stop for a week so I can there is one to whom tiredness is not part of his vocabulary so what I want to do is just reflect on this for a few minutes because I, I believe this is good news for us. Where if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, if you're feeling spiritually hot or if you're feeling very spiritually flat, I want to suggest that if we can come close to this fire, this burning bush of God, then we actually have some good news and some life for our hearts. So let me just share some reflections on this. The first thing is this. This, this power is actually made available to you and to us. This isn't just a raw flex on the behalf of God to say, look at who I am. This isn't God helping us with our systematic theology. Oh, that's what I like to, okay, I understand God. Okay, tick, move on with the rest of my life. No, this is God declaring who he is and making this power available to us in our life. This comes in the context of God wanting to meet the needs of his people and to meet the needs of Moses. Because he's saying later in verse 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to do a good and to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. This is a crazy thing he says. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I can imagine if I were Moses thinking, uh, you're like, uh, me? Are you sure? Because you seem to be the one with all the power. Um, why would you be asking me? I've been like tending sheep for 40 years. I'm actually getting quite used to this kind of life. I'm not sure I want to go on an adventure right now. I'm feeling quite happy with the humdrum of shepherding. But God says, I'm sending you with something though, with my own power. He says, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain what is that that is an impossibility at this moment just think of Moses in this moment his own people who are being subjugated un by, under the hand of the Egyptians the world's superpower of the day his powerless people under this superpower how could that happen if it weren't for a God who did not need wood to burn his fire, if it weren't for a God who didn't need favorable conditions to turn the tables on evil. And yet God says 
Don't worry, this is the sign one day you're going to be worshipping as a free people. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is simply the God speaking from this burning bush, reaffirming once again that he doesn't need anything to exist. This is actually his personal name. It happened, occurs over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. He said, this is going to be my name, Yahweh now, that comes into English. So we, what does it mean? I mean, I am. Uh, it doesn't sound very helpful, to be fair. You know, expecting like Trevor, Fred, like, what's your name to you? I, uh, what, uh, I am who I am. Say, so, I'm the one who was, and I am the one who am. And I am the one who will be. Come what may, whether things go well or things go badly, whether you believe in me or don't believe in me, whether the nations worship or don't, I am who I am. I don't need the things of this world, Moses. I am who I am. I'm from another place. And what we're told is that God, this God, comes and he pushes his power towards Moses' feet to make it available for him. We're told this later when Paul reflects on the resurrection of Jesus, the burning bush man. We're told this, Paul prays for us that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So God's immeasurable greatness. You can't measure it. You can't put any human metrics against the power of God. Why? Because it does not come from this world so we only have worldly measuring systems but God's power comes from out of this world so it's immeasurable but he says this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe you imagine like some superpower with all the wealth saying you know like Jeff Bezos or whatever and he says to you hey I'd like to just transfer my finances into your bank account is that okay you'd be like I don't think I want to pray about that one. I'm just going to say yes. Thank you. I'll take that as a sign from the Lord. Here you go. But the Lord says there is an immeasurable power that I am making available for you as you walk in my purposes. That's a, that's a crazy thought. That there is a power source that we can tap into if we would ask him. I'm not even sure what these verses mean in Ephesians 1. But they feel good to me that there is something outside of ourselves that we can call upon as we walk with the Lord. So it's the first thing. This power, this burning bush is actually available for us. And particularly when we are pioneering with God and for his purposes. That actually there is his power made available. Moses, he's calling Moses out of this everyday life to kind of this shepherding, living in the shadow of his former life and wondering what on earth is going on with the purpose of God. When he calls him back to this, he's saying, I'm going to make my power available to you so that you can fulfill my, my purposes. This week, I was remembering part of the story of when we 
Tori and I moved to help start Trinity Church London. And it was about five years ago that we knew we were called to start this church. And then everything kind of began to unfold from that point. And one of the things that we felt called to and convicted in and someone spoke to us and prophesied into our life was about buying a house. And for us, we had a a flat in a council estate in Bromley and we felt called to move into central London. And obviously everyone knows you don't do that. You You do it the other way around. And we were kind of, and we felt convicted to to pray for a house that would be a base for us for the long term we feel like we're here so we need a place for the long term and so we began to pray in James 5 it talks about the prayer of faith I feel like personally I've only had that two times once when I was praying for the salvation of my granddad which came to pass and once where we looked at a house and I stepped out of the house with Toria and an estate agent and uh, you know we knew the price of the house it was like uh, you know, trying to kind of not get into cold sweats. And I just felt this thing drop in my heart. It's like, right, that's what we're praying for. Like total peace, total confidence. Just, we've got to pray for that. That, that. Like suddenly everything changed. This is what we're praying for. And so we started this journey of walking with the Lord, knowing that he'd called us to help see the glory of God known in London and starting a community of faith and not knowing how we were going to do it. And there were all these cool stories. I want to share one cool story where I met the burning bush in Halifax and true story I mean we were like months into this process and we were trying to sell our our flat in in Bromley and it wasn't going through Um, we had one thing that failed and then we were just on the edge of another one Um, well actually kind of fell through again a second time and uh, we'd uh, had someone who was going to part by a property with us and they'd invested, they said, okay, I'm gonna invest some money with you, here's some money. And it's a lot of money. But in London terms, it's still like, not nearly enough, if you know what I mean. And so like, that's wonderful, but we're still praying for more. And in the middle of all of this process, um, I, got a, I got a letter or two letters came through the door from Nat West. Uh, okay, Nat West. And, and I didn't remember this, but we apparently banked with Nat West like when we first got married. And we'd had two current accounts with NatWest. So NatWest kindly sent us a letter about 10 years after we had this account saying something like, it's come to our attention that there are 10 pounds left in Toria's account and my account. Um, here's your 10 pounds back. <laughs> I was like, one of the more random letters that you get through the post. I think, okay, fine. It's a slight inconvenience because this was before, you know, like you could actually zap your checks and it's be done. You had to go to the bank in the olden days. So I was like, great, okay, I've got to go to the bank. So I stuck them in my wallet and the next time I was in town, I went and just ran like, what? I took to like, what? Why in that West? Like, what are they, what, what administration is going on that there's 10 years to figure out? I don't even know what happened there. But anyway, I went into the bank, two, two checks, one of the big ones, the bank sends, the big extra ones. And I put it in the, in, the, in, the, in the wall, in the kind of the machine. And obviously expecting, you know, because at the moment it says, uh, would you like to bank your X amount of money? So I was saying, would you like to deposit 20 pounds, except it said, would you like to deposit 80 pounds? I was like, that's weird, because only 20 pounds went in. So I kind of looked around, <laughs> checked with my heart for about 0.1 seconds and said, yes, I would like, that is what I would like to do. I would like 80 pounds. 
on the basis, before you judge me, on the basis that you get that little receipt, don't you? You get the little receipt that says, thank you for depositing X amount of money, and it gives you a little photograph, it scans it. So I thought, well, like, I'm sure I will confess it if it comes up and it's actually wrong. I'm sure I will do that. So I said, yes. I think, what? That is really weird. And by the way, I always bank my checks with that hope now. I'm like, could it be? But no, not, nothing since. 80 pounds. And, and I was waiting for the receipt to come out, thinking, OK, I'll check what it says on the thing. Uh, and yet what happened is when the receipt came out, it had been marked. It is black all over, like someone had scribbled over the check so that you, you couldn't see what actually was there. You know, if someone just like scribbles something out, you're like, you're not going to be able to see that check. And so I took it out and it was scrubbed out. I've never had one since. The scan always comes out. And in that moment in Halifax, I felt like I was before the burning bush and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm going to bend your money. I have to confess, I walked out at that point. I didn't tell anyone in Halifax what had just happened. My conscience is clean. <laughs> I felt the Lord was there in that moment. And what happened is the next day, it was actually Charles who was helping me at the point, helping us, called me. I was walking around the park to say that the person who had invested a certain amount of money actually has, it was about eight or nine times more than what he had originally said. And suddenly everything turned and became possible. Because God is not one who needs wood to burn. He can operate in all sorts of ways and he can bend money. And if you're pioneering with the Lord, he can work on your behalf to see his purposes fulfilled. He will go before us. We're praying at the moment for a building, a midweek space for us as a church. It's beyond us. And yet we worship the God of the burning bush who does not need favourable financial conditions to work and see things open up. He can perform miracles. Amen. So we can pray with faith. This is the good thing. We can pray based on the God of the burning bush, not on our experience of the past or what we think may happen in the future. Too many of us limit our prayers around what we think could happen. And yet we're told in Ephesians 3 that God works and does more than we can think or ask for. That we are working with a power that is beyond us. So as we come to pray, we should not look at the circumstances of our life, but we should look to the God of the burning bush and believe him that he can accomplish far more than we think or ask. So we look at ourselves and we think we can't get a midweek space. And yet we look at the God of the burning bush who rescued his people from Egypt. And we think, OK, maybe we can pray to this, this God. We feel like I haven't got any emotional resources in my heart right now to carry on. And yet when we come to the God of the burning bush, we realise that there are resources in God that overflow, 
that we can, if we get close enough to the fire of the presence of God, be filled with his restoring energy and his restoring strength. There might be relationships that are tense and torn and you think, I don't know how we can actually build this back together and bring a bridge between each other. And yet when we come to the God of the burning bush, he does not need favorable conditions within two hearts to bring a relationship back together. He's the God of the burning bush who does not need wood to burn. And so he can work on our behalf. He's the God who works against injustice because this is the context of Exodus 3. We're told at the very end of the chap chapter 2, why does God come down in this theophany? We read this, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And then God comes in power to see them saved. So the injustices of these worlds, of this world, is, is not unknown by God. The situation in Ukraine is not unknown by God. He knows and he hears the prayers of his people in Ukraine. He sees the groans of the injustice that is happening. And in this God, there is the possibility of peace, where it seems an impossibility how does this turn around? As God people, we are not on the fringes of history, even if the news would say so. We are at the center of history with the God of creation, and we can pray to the God of the burning bush that injustice would be turned around and justice would prevail. And so we pray with faith. For some of us, we need to come to the end of ourselves to see this, this God. Because this is what happens with Moses. Moses actually tried to redeem his people in the past. He had a go by himself, in the flesh, just the anger of his own heart, the injustice against his own people. He had a go at rescuing his people, but it did not go well. He failed in that moment and he was pushed out of Egypt and he finds himself living in this wilderness experience. And it took this moment really, I think, for Moses to actually see the power that was available in God, that he realized he cannot do this, but in God, this burning bush God, there is actually power available for him. And so I think the Lord in this moment where he gathers Moses close to him, he's actually reminding Moses of his frailty and his creatureliness, because he does this strange thing. He asks Moses to take his sandals off, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. It's the first time in the scriptures that we come across this thing, taking your sandals off. Why is he asking Moses to take his sandals off? This is my suggestion. My suggestion is that the Lord, aware of his holiness, that there is this uncrossable chasm between him as a creator and Moses as a creature. He wants to re-communicate this to Moses, a man who has failed as a creature, and he asks him to take his sandals off and in that moment to reconnect with the dust from which Moses actually came. From dust to dust, ashes to ashes, we will return. We are of the dirt. 
And the Lord asks Moses to come take his sandals off and be reminded, you are a creature before a creator. You are a finite one before an infinite one. You are one who is powerless before a man, before a God who is powerful. And in this moment, my thinking is that Moses is freshly reminded of all of his frailty, all of his vulnerability, and he sees the Lord clearly, maybe for the first time. Maybe with my vulnerability, he was not good at public speaking. He was an underconfident man at this point. He was uncertain about what he could do. And yet with the God of the burning bush, he walked in and turned history around. Which is good news, isn't it? How many of you feel underconfident in some areas of your life? <laughs> right. If you didn't put your hand up, that's fine. Right, we bless you. <laughs> How many of us feel vulnerable? How many of us right now feel slightly emotionally shaky? I just wonder whether COVID has been a time, there are so many things that are going on in COVID. I don't minimize those, but I wonder whether one of the things that the Lord is doing is in a sense asking us to take our sandals off, to be reminded that we are just creatures before an almighty God. For all of our plans, for all of our hopes, for all of our exploits, everything could be taken and he's just reconnecting us with the dust again. And as we come to this kind of vulnerable state, I think we actually have an opportunity to see the power of God on display for us. And in this moment, Moses was rescued, I think, from this kind of shadow-like life that he was living. Because there was a moment where he was in the center of things. I would imagine in the moment, as this growing sense of passion and the purpose of God to save his people from Israel when he was living within the ruling power. In that moment, there would have been this sense of, of confidence and in the purposes of God. And suddenly for 40 years, he's been taken out of that. And I think he's probably got quite used to living, like just going through the days quietly, happily. Imagine him thinking about his people on the far side of the other side of the wilderness, but maybe just settling for, I could do shepherding for the rest of my life. Anyone feel like that? There's a sense of pre-COVID, passionate, there was zeal, there was an unthinking focus on some of the things of the kingdom of God. And yet two years of COVID, and a lot of us, I think, are emotionally hesitating as to whether we really want to get involved. Maybe actually I just do my life and meet Jesus when I die. I think that's the thing that's going through a lot of our hearts right now. Maybe I just do this. And yet, when Moses meets God in the burning bush, fire is instilled in his heart. Something is rekindled, an emotional and spiritual rekindling happens in Moses, and he is called back into the purposes of God, where he walks with a fresh humility and a fresh power available to him. Let me close with this reflection, because there is this very last moment in verse 6, where we read this, God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, what? Hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I think very often in charismatic churches like ours, we imagine an encounter with God as always being happy clappy, <laughs> jumpy jumpy. 
In the scriptures, when people encounter God, what we're told very often is that there is this holy fear that actually sweeps over their heart and their mind. Because if this God is actually alive and there is an immeasurable power found in this God, if you come into contact with this God, what will it mean for your life? Your life may never be the same again that there are depths and expanses in this God that we cannot understand. There is mystery in this being. And if that is true, and if our hearts do actually come close to this kind of source of power, there could well be a sense of trembling. Rudolf Otto, who was a German theologian in the 1900s, he wrote a book called The Idea of the Holy, and he wrote this about a soul's encounter with God. And he says this encounter, it may become the hushed, trembling and speechless humility of the creature in the presence of, he asks whom or what? In the presence of that which is a mystery, inexpressible and above all creatures. And it's this God to whom Moses bows before, a being within whom there are possibilities upon possibilities upon possibilities. A being within whom our lives would never be the same if we actually followed him. Because you could never preempt what this kind of raw power will actually do when it's exercised in kindness towards the nations. Imagine what it might mean for London. Imagine what it might mean for Africa. Imagine what it might mean in Ukraine. Imagine what it might mean in Russia in the decades to come for the power of this burning bush to be exercised in kindness and to see this flame of fire rest on first on those in Pentecost and then on those who are to come and then on us and then on dozens and then hundreds and then thousands more. What would it mean for this burning bush power to spread out across the nations. This is the kind of thing that we're dealing with. So there is a sense of quiet awe when we come to a God like this. So if I could invite the band back up and we didn't plan to sing this song, but we're gonna sing what these guys did. I didn't plan the, the great I am. My, my, my suggestion is that we're gonna to respond to lift this God up. And I wanna just invite you because if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're just, okay, I've been invited along or I'm just here because of the whatever. I want to invite you to take a step towards this, this God. Because if it's true that his power is outside of this world and he blesses and he doesn't need wood to burn, he doesn't need you to be walking a moral life to bless you to cleanse you, to fill your life with his power. He doesn't need you to have walked a righteous life. He doesn't need you to have done well in your past. He doesn't need you to be feeling particularly good this morning to bless you. It's his fire that gets poured into our hearts. And for those of us who are feeling spiritually tired and empty, it's actually, I think, the kind of blessing environment that God loves to, to bless. He actually, he loves it 
when in your tiredness and sense of emptiness and sense that God is distant, in that moment by faith to honour the God of the burning bush and say, Lord, I need you to fill me.